Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. <laughs> This story contains some graphic details involving a suicide, so listener discretion is advised. From the onset, you should know that none of the paranormal events mentioned in this story were witnessed by me personally. However, that doesn't make any difference. This is something that has haunted me for close to 40 years now. I first met Bill in elementary school. This would have been 1966. Bill was one of the strangest friends that I had ever known. For example, in elementary school, at recess, instead of playing games on the playground with the rest of us, he would spend the entire period running around the perimeter of the playground with his arms extended behind him, making woo-woo sounds, pretending that he was on a train. This would go on the entire duration of both recess periods, morning and afternoon. Bill was a smart guy and highly creative to the point where, when he graduated from high school, he was able to land a position right away at one of the major newspapers in our city as a staff photographer. That was a lucky break for him, as it meant that he could move away from home right away. Bill's family was strange, especially his father, a rather severe and profoundly religious man that ruled the roost to the point where his mother was little more than a cipher. His siblings were odd too, but I didn't get to know them very well. Truth to tell, going to Bill's house made me uncomfortable, so I seldom visited him there. Bill moved into a nice house with a couple of roommates, not too far from the university that I was attending back then. I'd spend time at his place every once in a while. It would have been around... 1975. One evening we were sitting in his living room drinking beers, listening to music, and taking occasional hits from his outrageous bong, when he suddenly got very serious and asked me the strangest question I had ever heard still to this day. Have you ever seen a black hand floating behind me? I said no, and gave him a very funny look. He went on to explain that both his roommates and a few guests have been freaked out by the apparition of a disembodied black hand, occasionally glimpsed, floating in the air a couple of feet behind him, pointing at him as he walks around the house. He suspected they're just fucking with him, as they seem pretty serious. He thought he'd ask some of his other friends if any of them had seen anything like this. Well, no. I hadn't seen such a thing, and for the rest of the time I knew Bill, I never did see anything like that at all. Though for a while after he asked this question, I did keep a lookout. Bill himself never mentioned it to me again. 
Fast forward five years. Bill killed himself with a shotgun. Over the course of those five years, Bill went from a guy that pretty much had fantastic prospects for a successful career to a mess that couldn't hold down the simplest of jobs. Without going into too much detail, principally because I could fill a book with anecdotes, Bill changed drastically. He became unstable, lost his job, had to move back home with his crazy family, was committed twice, married, divorced, remarried, divorced, then remarried again. When he took his own life, I hadn't seen him for close to a year. After hearing the sad news of what he had done, I went to his funeral with another friend. To our horror, the casket was open, and there was Bill's strange father standing there, staring at his son. It was surreal. After the funeral, we went to the reception, and it was here that I first met Bill's third wife, who, to my surprise, seemed like a fairly normal and nice person. I should add that he met his first wife at an asylum when he was committed the first time, so my expectations weren't necessarily high. After visiting for a bit, she told me something offhand that almost caused me to faint on the spot. Certainly, I blanched visibly. It's haunted me since that day. I still don't know what to think of it. She said that the couple of days before Bill had killed himself, she walked in the room and saw this black hand floating in the air right behind him, pointing at the back of his head, then touching it. It had been years since Bill told me that story, one evening between bong hits. And at that time, the hand was reportedly floating a few feet behind him, not close, certainly not touching. I told her what Bill said to me years ago, which of course scared her. She said he had never mentioned any of it to her, and that was the first and only time she'd ever seen anything. It was such a weird and transitory thing that she didn't mention it to him. So what is the takeaway of this? What do I think happened? At some point in Bill's life, something attached itself to him, following and closing in. And over the course of years, as it got closer and closer, Bill became madder and madder, to the point that he finally couldn't take it anymore and ended his life. Thinking back to the oddness, even in elementary school, of Bill, Whatever this was could have been following him way back then. Maybe even from birth. I don't really know any other way to explain it. I've been asked how Bill had an open casket funeral, and I wondered the same thing when I saw the open casket at the funeral service. Seeing this was very disturbing. My friend and I sat at the back of the chapel and didn't want to walk up to the casket to view our friend or talk to family as one would expect under normal circumstances. To our dismay, when the service was over, everyone had to exit via procession by the casket to view the remains. It was obvious the funeral home had to work overtime to make Bill presentable. His eyes were definitely too far apart. Things were slightly misshapen with his head, 
any other person would never have put such remains on display. But as I noted, Bill's father was an odd, severe person, and doing this was very much like him. It's been my belief that the spot his wife saw the hand touching on the back of Bill's head is where the blast exited, but I can't know this for sure. I know Bill put the gun to his mouth so that the exit would have been the back of his head. Bill was a very interesting person, and I've always regretted that I didn't grow old with him as a friend. Because before he lost his mind, he was a genuinely nice guy. Very fun to be around. Wherever you are now, Bill, I hope you're at peace. For a bit of backstory, my dad's house has been in our family for decades. It was built on this mound-type hill in the middle of nowhere in northern Mississippi. Oh, and it's less than 200 feet from a graveyard where most of my great-grandparents and above are buried. This is the part of northern Mississippi that was heavily populated with Native Americans before it was colonized. Various people have witnessed many different things in the house, and we all share the stories, but I'm going to strictly tell about what I experienced personally. This house is set up to where, if all the bedroom doors are open, you can walk in one huge circle, with most rooms having two or more doors. My bedroom was the farthest from the entrance, in the very back corner of the house. It was my great-grandmother's room when she was alive, and it had two doors and three huge windows. One of these doors led to my dad's room, and then to common areas. The second room led to the heater room, the type that has one of those older, wood-fueled heaters, which had no issues heating the house. The door to the heater room was rarely used, only cracked every now and then to let the heat in, and then shut when it got too warm. My bed was directly opposite of this door, and under two of the huge windows. I never liked my dad's house. It always has this someone-is-watching-you vibe, and even as a child, I hated it. My room was the worst. One night, when I was in my early teens, I was laying in bed, and out of nowhere became shocked with fear. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't close my eyes. I couldn't even make myself blink. Something was watching me, and I was terrified. From what I could see with my eyes, without moving them or blinking, was a pair of red eyes amongst a huge shadow covering the door to the heater room. I did not sleep that night and did not sleep in that room again until several years later. I used to collect dolls. Yes, the creepy, beady-eyed Annabelle dolls. Most of them stayed put up, but I had one that was shaped like a baby sitting up, and it was something that I used to sleep with. As I got older, I got it a little bench and set it up next to the heater door. More than once in my life, that doll would randomly end up on the other side of the room, sitting upright on my bed when no one had been home, or even seemingly thrown across the room, lying face down as if something smacked it off the bench it was on. Later in life, I mentioned this to my family, 
and they all agreed that there was something bad in my room. Until after my grandmother passed. After that, I could finally sleep in there again, and the room just seemed so much brighter. The previously mentioned grandmother, my dad's mother, died kind of unexpectedly. She had health issues and had recently been in and out of the hospital and was on her way home from the hospital with a cleanish bill of health when she then had a stroke. Several days after her funeral, I was at my dad's in the living room. From the living room, you have to walk into my dad's bedroom on his squeaky hardwood floor and through a door to get to my room. The seat I was sitting in was near this door into my dad's room. The floor started squeaking like someone was walking on it, but nobody in the house was walking around at the time. The squeaking stopped, and plain as day, my grandmother sat down next to me and looked at me like, I did it, I took care of the bad thing. This gave me chills, and then she was just gone. My dad's house is set to where the kitchen is next to the carport and has one of the most used entrances. Off the kitchen is a bedroom my brother used to sleep in. So for my brother to get to the living room, he would have to walk out of his room, through the kitchen, then the dining room, and finally, be in the living room. My great-grandmother always sat in a chair near his door when she was working in the kitchen. She has been seen by several family members sitting in that spot, or at the stove seemingly stirring her latest meal. Cabinet doors have been opened fully and then slammed closed, or just opened and left as such. When being told to cut it out by somebody living in the house, they all closed at once. A lot of other crazy things like this happened. I previously mentioned that my dad's house is on a mound-type hill and is not too far from a graveyard. It's in an area where, in the evenings, the silence can be deafening. However, all through my childhood and early teens, it was never silent outside. It was loud. Not with the normal sounds of the countryside and bugs and animals. It was like a constant chorus of low-toned yells. Think of something moaning really loudly for a long time, then multiply it by a thousand or more. It's something that has been so hard to explain to those that have never witnessed it. I couldn't be caught outside at night, ever. Recently, my stepmother passed away in this house unexpectedly. Since her passing, all the creepy moaning and groaning has stopped. It's been eerily silent, to the point that no family members can stay in the house for more than a few hours at a time. There have been no floorboards creaking, no cabinets opening, no feeling of someone else being present when you are alone. Nothing. This happened about a week or so ago, when a friend and I wanted to do something on a Saturday night. We live in New York City, and because of elections, Manhattan was sort of crazy, so we decided to do something out of town. It was about 10 p.m. I remembered this rumored-to-be-haunted road. Not too far away from New Jersey, and we decided to drive that way. It's about a 45-minute ride into Jersey, 
so the drive wasn't too much out of the way. It's called Clinton Road and has a pretty dark folklore and history. Stories of extremist groups, cults, and hellhounds, rumors of a ghost boy and a truck that drives you off the road. Honestly, those stories seemed pretty extreme and to me seemed very unlikely. But I never really had a paranormal experience and thought that this could possibly change my perception on the matter. After stopping at a rest stop and smoking a joint, my friend was becoming a bit nervous and hesitant, as we were getting closer to our strange destination, but being an adventurous and confident person, I convinced them, somehow, not to worry. Honestly, I was nervous myself, stoned or not. We get back into the car, and after about another 15 minutes, we're turning right onto Clinton Road. As soon as we arrive, we both became quiet. We were now on this narrow, long, two-way road surrounded by trees, darkness, and the perfect view of an almost full moon. If you didn't have your headlights on, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. The road seemed to be straight until many unexpected, sharp right turns appeared, forcing you to slow down each turn. The speed limit signs had been vandalized and changed to 88 miles per hour in dripping red paint, and along the sides of the road were scattered crosses and odd drawings on rocks and trees, possibly spray-painted by daring teens or whatever. After about the first five to six minutes, it took about 18 to 20 minutes to drive completely through the road, but after about five to six minutes, we noticed how we had been the only people on the road this entire time. Not a car passed, coming or going. Needing to keep my mind off this weird situation and the eerie dead silence, I noticed the music was never on and decided to play some upbeat tunes to distract the both of us. Despite the music playing, about another two minutes later, my stomach tightened, and I got strange chills behind my back and down my spine. I vocalized to my friend, telling them, Not sure why, but my stomach dropped and I feel really hot. As soon as those words left my lips, we saw headlights in the rearview mirror, and I turned back to see high-beam headlights speeding in our direction. My friend became nervous and slowed down to let the flying driver pass us. But they didn't. Every time we slowed down, the car behind us would slow down as well. If we would speed up, they would too. They began to flash their lights at us, signaling to us to either get out of the way or pull over. We were definitely not planning on pulling over, let alone getting out of this fucking car on this secluded road. My friend honked and put their hand out the window, letting the driver know that they could pass. They didn't. It felt like we were on this road for 40 minutes. So at this point, we turned the music off and tried to calm down. We were both in a subtle panic, trying to keep the aura calm so neither of us would freak out. We would make things worse. We lost signal, meaning that we lost GPS, which was my only way to find those sharp turns causing me to drive even slower to keep a better eye out. We did not want to miss a turn and drive right into the mysterious, weird woods. 
My friend turns to me and tells me we're about five minutes away from exiting the road. The headlights behind us sped up one last time, and basically on our ass now. We were in a panic, but seeing in front of us the exit of the road and houses nearby gave us some sort of comfort. We both let out a sigh of release and finally exited the creepy, weird road, not even realizing that we were both holding our breath. We never saw the terrifying headlights turn or stop following us. And honestly, I don't even give a shit. I was just happy to be safe and headed home. I still questioned those strange tales of the ghost truck that had some sort of truth behind it, because I have never in my life felt so claustrophobic and scared in my life. It's said that the truck was possibly related to a hit-and-run, and it's sort of stuck in purgatory and that it has this weird connection to a child whose body was discarded over the top of this bridge that we passed on the road. But that's a story for another time. If anyone does decide to go down that road, please brace yourself, because even though nothing may have happened, that feeling I had over my body is an experience I wouldn't want anyone to feel. And would I go back to that road? Nope. Not even in daylight. For as long as I can remember, I've seen and experienced strange things. I've come to understand that the world is teeming with things that can go undetected by those who have closed off their so-called extrasensory abilities. With so many experiences under my belt, I find that it takes a lot to shake me. But this particular experience quite literally brought me to my knees in fear. In college, I lived in an apartment under a guy who my ex and I had to call the cops on more than once for violently fighting with women. I chalked it up to him just being an asshole. But one day in particular, I found that he had something attached to him that was feeding into his toxic and violent demeanor. It started with the usual screaming and stomping around. The fight then moved into the bedroom, directly above my head. I figured I was feeling incredibly on edge because of the commotion going on upstairs. I heard what sounded like furniture being thrown around, or maybe someone being pushed into said furniture. I'm not really sure. Eventually, it calmed down, but the feeling of dread would not subside. I stood in my room, staring up at the ceiling in anger at this jerk. Now, I don't know how to clarify this for anyone who hasn't experienced it, but sometimes, when I see things, I'm not actually seeing something with my physical eyes. The best way I can explain it is that I see whatever is going on in my mind's eye. So, glaring at the ceiling, I begin to see a darkness on the ceiling, and I can feel that it has turned its attention away from my fitful neighbor and onto me. Probably because I knew that I was aware of its presence. Instantly, my nerves got the best of me, and a wave of fear took over. Leaving me unable to protect myself with the proverbial white light, as the darkness seeped into my bedroom, I shit you not, it sounded as if a freight train was barreling through my brain and bedroom, 
accompanied by inhuman screaming and wailing. That's when the amorphous darkness began to take a more corporeal shape. If I had to explain it in a word, it was demonic. It was a large mass of muscle and viscera, with impossibly long arms and fingers that were sharp and blackened, as though burned. Think Attack on Titan meets Slenderman, but charred. The thing howls with laughter as I fall to the ground, crying in fear, and it reaches out one of its black, gnarled fingers and brushes it along my back. Feeling completely invaded and attacked, I begin to fight back in my mind and heart, trying my damnedest to push out this evil with a pure white light. I get angry enough to stand up and scream for it to leave me the fuck alone. I run to my living room to grab my sage and begin the process of physically trying to push it out, despite the tears and shaking. I guess it decided it had enough fun with me, and it dissipates back into that smoky darkness and seeps back up into the ceiling. Once I've calmed down a little, I go to the bathroom to splash water on my face. I look at my reflection in the mirror, still breathing heavily from the events that had just transpired, and I winked at myself, or my reflection did. I'm really not sure what happened there, because I certainly did not consciously fucking wink at my own reflection. I still have experiences pretty regularly, but nothing that has ever filled me with such fear and a feeling that I've completely lost control of the situation. I guess the moral of the story is that we need to protect ourselves physically, and that includes caring for our mental health. There are things out there that thrive off of the darkness in humanity, and they are truly awful. In 2001, my friend and I were always looking for ways to get into trouble on the internet. You know how it was back then. It took forever to get connected, so you just kind of browsed one or two web pages at a time. I remember gore sites being very popular at my high school. While surfing the web, we began looking into some scary stuff. We knew Halloween was coming up, so it seemed fitting. My buddy wanted to dive into dark rituals on this website that we stumbled upon. The site had spells and information about demons. I don't remember much about the site, but it was kind of vague. The pages were just black with white, plain text instructions and some creepy images. I do remember there being some downloadable files about people being possessed and some EVP recordings. The sight creeped both of us out pretty bad. But hey, it was almost Halloween. Being typical rebellious teenagers, we decided to try out one of the spells. I can't remember exactly what the spell was, but I believe it involved summoning a spirit that you could only call upon on Halloween. We ran out of ink while trying to print. And maybe this was a sign. Too bad we didn't stop there, though. My friend said that he would get us some more ink before Halloween and we would try the spell out. We were both excited and curious to see the results. A couple of days later, 
Halloween arrived and my friend invited me to stay the night. Of course, he mentioned that we had printed off the spell. He lived in a hot spot for trick-or-treaters. His dad was on the corner of a neighborhood, just a nice typical suburban home. We handed out some candy, and I remember his dad telling us to keep giving kids candy and that he was headed to bed. And this is when it all went down. Well, sort of. We turned off the porch lights and went to the bedroom to check out the spell's instructions, which were simple enough. From what I remember, we had to recite a few words and be in front of a mirror with a candle, then remain in that room for a certain amount of time. We went to the bathroom with the small candle, read the spell, stayed in there for a while, then came out disappointed. We didn't see a thing or feel anything out of the ordinary. A couple of weeks later, we got the chance to hang out again. I stayed over at his dad's house and we played some video games all night. When it came time to pass out, he got in his bed and I got comfortable on the nice recliner that he had in his room. It was about 3 or 4 a.m. and we finally turned off the games. This is when it happened. Not long after the lights went out, we both heard a scratching noise. The best way I know to describe it would be like a giant rat or animal of some kind, making a long, tearing, scratching noise. The scratching stops, and then we hear giggling, which sounded like the laughter of children, along with footsteps running down the hallway behind his room. We both jumped up, and he flipped on the light. I'll never forget staring at each other with our eyes wide in shock. We both heard it, and we knew what we heard. There were no children in that home. We checked the house to see what was there. Nothing. We still talk about it to this very day, and how we regret messing with the spells and things that we did not understand. Now this only happened once, but whatever it was, it felt wrong. Every night after work, I have to drive by that house. But his family no longer lives there. The house always gives me the creeps, and I try to look away. Be careful when messing with the unknown, and stay safe out there. My family owns a cabin in the Sierras, which was built by my great-grandfather in the 50s. It's modest by most measures, but it's still very cozy and even has four bedrooms. One room has four bunk beds, which is where all the younger cousins sleep when most of the extended family meets up. There's only one bathroom, but when you're surrounded by woods, that doesn't matter too much. You can only access our cabin a few months out of the year because the long dirt road up the hill isn't maintained and it's usually snowed in. It also served as my grandparents' summer home. Anyway, I was one of the many cousins who have countless happy memories spending time up at the cabin. There's a large clearing about half a mile away covered with enormous flat rocks 
We call it the rock pile. If we weren't inside the cabin, we were hanging out at the rock pile. We've actually slept out there in sleeping bags a handful of times. Probably not the smartest thing to do with bears and mountain lions in the area, but whatever. Maybe they were more docile in the 90s. Well, while we were out there stargazing and taking in the silence of the woods, sometimes my dad and uncles would tell us ghost stories about the cabin and the woods surrounding it. To this day, they all swear they're telling the truth. Now that I'm an adult, I've been able to have my own serious conversations and pick their brains about the things that have happened. I suppose when I have children, I can pass these stories on to them as well. I'll start with a more mild story. My aunt was laying out at the rock pile on a beach towel in the middle of the day while my uncle was in the middle of cooking up lunch back at the cabin. Even though not a soul was in sight, as a formality, she went behind a tree to handle business real quick. When she returned, her towel was gone, along with her heavy plastic thermos filled with water. The tree had to have been only 30 feet away, at most, and for what it's worth, there was no breeze whatsoever. She immediately returned to the cabin, suspecting my uncle had pulled a prank on her. His truck was gone, but he pulled up shortly later. He apparently made a quick trip down to a convenience store, located about 10 miles away once he got off the dirt road. She still confronted him, and he, of course, had no idea what she was talking about. He explained that he left about five minutes after my aunt headed to the rock pile to grab some butter to pan-fry the fish they caught the day prior. There's not much else to the story, other than the sad fact my aunt no longer has her favorite Minnie Mouse beach towel. Now for something a bit more recent and much scarier. There's a path of sorts that runs on the opposite side of the cabin, far away from the rock pile. I don't think it's anything official or whatever, it's just a route we take when we want to go on hikes. During a night hike with my uncle and nephew, we heard heavy footsteps ahead of us. Thinking it was a bear or something, we all froze and waited. Once we heard it again, my nephew lifted up his flashlight. We saw what I can only describe as a centaur, but with two legs instead of four. To be more specific, it looked like a humanoid with bull horns, and its legs looked like they belonged to a horse or a large goat. It was standing upright and looking directly at us, just a few feet off the path we were walking, maybe 20 feet away. We all remembered its eyes, too. They were pure white and stood out more than the rest of its body. My nephew lowered his flashlight and started running in the opposite direction. I stayed frozen and watched the silhouette of this creature dart off into the woods. Its footsteps became silent almost immediately after losing sight of it. Remember when I said my uncles told us ghost stories at the rock pile? Well, an uncle who was not at the cabin with us that weekend told us a story years ago describing exactly what we had seen. Apparently, he saw the same creature walking the same path but he got to see it for a bit longer. 
He was much farther away and just stared at it for a while as it was walking up the hill towards the mountains. I'll end this with another mild story. My great-grandpa died several years before this happened. He had a straw hat, which he hung on the rack mounted inside next to the doorway. The cabin has remained untouched since he and my great-grandmother passed away, so his hat has always stayed there. I would sometimes wear it when I'd roam around outside. When I was 12 years old, around the time my aunt's towel disappeared, I was at that same rock pile with three of my cousins wearing the hat. For whatever reason, I took it off and hung it on the stump of a former branch protruding from a tree. Being a bit of an idiot, I forgot to take it with me when we went back down to the cabin. I didn't realize this until we started playing Uno before dinner. The sun was almost down, so I told my dad that I had left Grandpa's hat back at the rock pile. It wasn't that far of a walk, and we probably could have just gotten it the next day, but dinner wasn't ready yet, so we decided to just go get it. When we opened the door, his hat was sitting at the top of the steps, centered with the doormat. My dad thought I was playing a prank, and when I insisted I wasn't, he thought maybe somebody else brought the hat back. There are a few other cabins on that same dirt road, but the owners were definitely not there at this time. No cars were in their driveway, and my family is also pretty close to them, so they certainly would have at least knocked or said hi. One more quick strange occurrence that comes to mind. My dad claims to have seen facial hair stubble in the bathroom sink that didn't belong to him while he was up at the cabin by himself. He had been there for a couple of days already. In the morning he was set to leave, he went into the bathroom and saw a bunch of white whiskers scattered in the sink that obviously didn't belong to him and weren't there days prior. He still thinks the centaur story is bullshit and doesn't think the missing towel and reappearing hat are anything paranormal, but due to the fact he remembers Grandma always nagging Grandpa to clean up his shaving mess, he admits part of him thinks this was Grandpa's way of saying hi. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Odd Trails. This week you have heard The Black Hand by Philip DeWalt. Get Ready, This Is a Lot by Daring Danny. Followed Down a Creepy Road by Clarissa. One of Many by Ashley. Evil Black Magic on the Internet in the Early 2000s by Lee Lock 5. And finally, The Family Cabin by Jack. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Odd Trails is not associated with any message boards online. If you have any stories you'd like heard on the show, submit them to stories at oddtrails.com. You can also find us on Instagram at oddtrailspodcast. So Brandon, I, in all of my years of doing Let's Not Meet the True Horror Podcast for some reason have never asked you and I have to apologize I've never asked you do you have like a true horror story like with the creep or anything in your past um 
Yeah, you're right. That is very rude of you to not ask. But I forgive you. Let's let bygones be bygones. Okay. And I will um, allow you to listen to this tale that I'm about to share with you. Please do. <laughs> no, um, I haven't really had anything too crazy, honestly. This is a pretty normal life. The only thing I can think of um, as far as like right there in the moment, holy shit, adrenaline kicking in, mm-hmm. would be probably when I was like eight or nine. Um, I was playing around outside on my bike alone and I see some guy who's probably in his I don't know mid 20s early 30s as a kid everybody is just a grown up you don't really you can't tell the difference yeah so I have no idea anyway um I'm just like sitting against my bike or sitting on my bike looking out in the horizon I don't know kid shit and this guy comes out of nowhere right I see him approaching and I just kind of freeze um I'm not sure why he just kind of gave me a weird feeling he didn't look dirty or unsafe or like be a, the typical stranger danger vibes even though all strangers are dangerous i am o yeah i, I think <laughs> i'm sure true. you share that sentiment yeah. yeah and you know like kids have good intuition for sure we, we don't give them enough credit for sure and uh yeah so just from there i kind of froze unfortunately my intuition is good but um i don't react <laughs> accordingly um, so I just froze up, and by the time he gets to me, I'm like, fuck, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. And he asks me to trade bikes and wants to just hang out with me. Oh, perfect. Yeah, this guy's twice my age, <laughs> yeah. at least. And, yeah, at least twice my age. And, um, yeah, wanting to play with me and ride my bike and trade bikes and all this shit and just being way too friendly. And then finally, I just get my shit together and I just start pedaling towards my house. Um, my adrenaline is going like nothing else I've ever felt before. And I've been in a few car crashes and things like that. And that's always pretty scary and whatnot. But there's just something else about being or the feeling of being targeted. And holy shit, this is about to happen. I know how this ends. And uh, it's a horrible feeling. And uh, that's that's like nothing that pales in comparison to people that have actually been at danger. For all I know, this guy could have just been like a local neighborhood weirdo. Um, harmless for the most part, so I, I can't imagine somebody who actually has had to go through somebody so, who you don't want to cross paths with. Right. So what happened after that? Like, what, did he just did he chase you? Uh, he kind of like was trying to like he was like beckoning for me to return. I guess. <laughs> um, but no, he didn't. Uh, he was like, oh, you can't get away from me. There wasn't anything like that. <laughs> but. Uh, in my mind, I felt like he was going to do that, and by him like calling after me to continue playing with him, that was, I don't know, it was just weird. It was really, like really, really weird. I mean, looking back, I think it was just a case of having that weirdo in the neighborhood, yeah. just having that experience. Um, otherwise, I'm sure people would have talked about him, and I think that you asked what happened. Um, I did. I told the police, or I told my parents who relayed to the police. I mean, nothing really happened, but... Well, I can tell you this from my experience that guy's done something bad already he's probably in jail yeah, or fuck dead. that guy <laughs> yeah fuck that guy fuck that guy don't mess with little kids yeah dude. don't ask to borrow my bike <laughs> I, I, I take everything back i don't give you the benefit of the doubt yeah well we'll have to have you on let's not meet soon i don't know i don't know why we haven't we keep talking about it i think i thought we were still talking to that creepy guy and just in case he's listening like oh yeah that was me i wanted <laughs> yeah, to trade bikes with you <laughs> Well, anyway, we, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Odd Trails. As usual, thank you so much for continuing to stay in each and every week. We have a lot more ideas coming. 
Um, I know not everything is always super, super bone-chilling scary, but when we do odd trails, we try to cover a large variety of different content. Not everything's going to be super scary. Some things just kind of makes you think about life. Yeah, like the weird stuff. I like the weird stuff personally more than the haunting stuff. I just find it more interesting because it happens to people all the time and we just take it for granted. Exactly, exactly. The, The smaller things are fun to capture in our opinion. And we hope you agree, and hopefully this after-dialogue tickles your fancy to some extent as well. Well, in any case, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Odd Trails. Thank you so much. Take care.